Hello, I'm Regina Botras and this is Backstage, where we talk with the who's who on stage, in dance, comedy and performing arts, speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. My guest is Thomas Campbell. He is the playwright and performer from Betty is a Butcher, which takes us on a voyage across existential high seas of destiny and desire. It's playing as part of the Sydney Fringe Festival at the Pack Theatre from the 4th to the 9th of September. It's a Siren Theatre Company production directed by Kate Gall. And I had a look through Thomas's very extensive CV or bio. He's done all kinds of things from the Ensemble Theatre, Hayes Theatre, the Flying Nun Brand X, Adelaide Cabaret Festival, Bakehouse Theatre Company, uh, Sport for Jove, Darlinghurst Theatre. Look, it goes on and on. He's been around. If I went through everything else he's done, there's there's so much there. He's um, award-winning and nominated for numerous Sydney Theatre Awards as well as many others. Please welcome Thomas Campbell. Thank you for having me. That's a lovely introduction. Thanks for joining me. So this is your first written piece as a playwright. Betty is a butcher. How did it happen? Yeah, I mean, I have Kate uh, Gould to thank for that. We um, we did the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, I think, 2017. We took uh, an Ender Walsh play and I took uh, a stand-up comedy show. So I have, I have written in kind of the world of cabaret and stand-up comedy before, but this was... My first attempt, this is my first attempt at a, you know, a full length, it's 50 minutes, it's not that long, but uh, play. Um, And it was written purely as a kind of festival performance piece, because once you've done Edinburgh Fringe once and failed (laughs) gloriously, uh, Kate and I love that place as much as it can be as torturous as hell. Um, We we really want to go back. So we, I wrote this play for Edinburgh um, and we actually got into a, phenomenal venue zoo venues in 2020 but then of course the world stopped and uh that the fringe you know disappeared for two or three years um so then we had the opportunity to develop the play further with a couple of um development funds at uh penrith at q theater and then at brand x and we had a little showing at brand x uh in 2021 and uh so this yeah this is kind of its first outing as a full production at sydney fringe um heading to adelaide fringe yeah next so year as well. did you take some of that kind of stand-up and cabaret you know stuff that you've done what's the genre what what are we talking here well it, you know it's written to uh, when you've been to edinburgh you know what pieces work the type of theater yeah. that grabs people so i was always inspired by um I remember watching, I can't remember the title of it, Whoopi Goldberg wrote a show where she did five characters and Mike Lee found her, um, Mike Nichols, sorry, found her in the Lower East Side and that's kind of what kicked her career off. So I, and I love, I love, I would say that I'm much more of a character actor, so I wanted to kind of show off and choose four to five very, very different characters that I can jump between um, telling a, a pretty random, unique story. Um, yeah. So who are the characters? Where, what was the first one you came up with? Um, well, I have a big fascination with grand old theatre dames of, the, of, of Britain. So I play this, uh, well, she's called Grand Old Dame. I play an old actress 
uh, talking about her, uh, her first true love. And then uh, I jump swiftly to a Sydney gay trying to sell his wares very high on drugs on an uh, internet cam website. Uh, cut to a little six-year-old girl giving a speech in class. And then finally, a, um, a, I suppose a version of me, but a very angry version of me in a therapy session. Um, so it starts very highly theatrical and it kind of comes back to a very truthful, naturalistic place performance-wise. How um, does it move then from between these characters? They just jump. There's a quick they change do. between. Yeah, yeah. So they're about ten minutes each. The monologues. As I'm, as we're rehearsing now, things are changing and and things are growing. Um, as with all art, things evolve. Um, and I think having the time from you know writing it from 2020 to now, a lot of things have shifted in my life. There's a lot more. I have a lot more confidence to to back my own opinions. And um, I suppose it's kind of becoming. Uh, much more uh, specific what I'm what I am trying to say in this piece. Are there, but I mean, are the roles relating to each other? Yeah, I mean, they all uh, kind of reference experiences that I've had in my life to the nth degree. I've pushed them, you know, to make them theatrical and entertaining. Um, but they're all kind of. I, it was sort of inspired. My dad in 2012 had a pretty severe stroke. And spent the last four years of his life before he passed away just in a bed. I mean, he was all there, but he just had to lie in this bed with his kids caring for him. And I suppose I was putting myself... I, I can only imagine what you must think about when you you have nothing to do. You know, there's only so much iView and SBS that he could watch. Um, so I think I was thinking, what would happen if I did that? And, and I was looking back on my life and the experiences that I've had or the personas I've presented to uh, people in my life. And that's kind of where the piece was born. Um, yeah, it has evolved a little bit more specifically into the concept of, you know, humans, how they shapeshift to fit in and be accepted. Uh, so that's kind of where the piece sits at this stage. So what have you recently kind of found out? I mean, it sounds very, like you say, you end up in the kind of <laughs> the therapist chair. Is it a bit like that? Is it a bit like, oh, I found this out about myself along the way? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always known, you know, I was born without a left hand. So as a young kid, the experience of othering was probably a little bit more acute than other kids. Um, and I learned pretty quickly without, you know, a conscious decision, but I learned how to kind of work a room in a sense or to fit in so that I wasn't othered so I could kind of fit in with any group I was a bit of I won a, I remember in year 10 I won an award that they created called the community award but I think I was just meant I was like a <laughs> a slut in all the school <laughs> groups basically <laughs> so I suppose yeah in little sessions of therapy in my life I've learned that in a sense that's as a human that's how I've survived and thrived by shape-shifting in a sense to to fit in, to uh, stop that othering that might occur um, mm. in life. Um, so I think that's an interesting kind of unique position to talk about. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where the piece is heading now, rather than just kind of a reflection of a man lying in bed sick, looking back mm. on his life, it's more about the experience of what it is to, you know, be seen and uh, in, uh, for, your, for your own self rather than trying to you know, fit in. So what is it to be seen? What, um, what is that? 
What is it to be seen? Um, I suppose that we're all still working that out. I certainly am. What what am, what am I actually looking for in life? What am I? What is the thing that motivates me to um, excel or have success? Ultimately, I think my life motto has always been have fun, be silly. Um, but I think as I get older, as much as that's a, you know, it keeps me buoyant and happy and alive, you, there is a certain uh, depth that's missing from that statement. So looking deeper within, I, this is an opportunity, this play to explore what it is, what I'm really looking for. Mm. No so, definite answer there, Regina. No, no. Well, I just, I asked because, you know, it's such the thing that is current in terms of media or representation across, whether it's on stage or on screen or in panels or wherever there has to be, there's like this need to tell everyone's story and to be seen and to be kind of recognised for difference as well as understanding we are all kind of different but all the same as a consequence i just wondered you know what <laughs> i used to mention that what what being seen is i suppose but we're a couple of weeks out before you hit the stage is it true that 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 kind of last week or these are the most important days and there's so much can change between now and then yeah i'm actually very today is because we have done the production before and it is we know it has kind of worked in one iteration it isn't shifting that much but there are a couple of new characters that I'm adding today is really ah. the first day actually that Kate and I are meeting after my writing so um, I'm excited for the next two weeks because I know things will change drastically and Kate and I have a really great shorthand because we've worked together I think we've done over 12 productions together over the last 20 years so mm. or more really um, so we don't well, she definitely doesn't shy away from giving me her opinion and I can, <laughs> I can, you know, argue back from my point of view. So, um, she's a real, she's a great director in that sense. And, uh, so I'm looking mm. forward to seeing what happens. Uh, yeah, it's exciting. It must be so good to have that kind of relationship where you can completely trust and, um, be open in, in that working relationship. Yeah, I mean, it takes a, it takes a while to find that. I mean, um, Kate's very, very direct. Um, well, she's a director. Um, so, <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, that can be quite confronting at the beginning, but I just think it is the best way to work. We're not trying to be lovely and kind to each other because I think that's just waste time ultimately. And she is all about the work itself. It's nothing personal. She can say something quite <laughs> viciously to me, but I understand it's not a personal attack. It's like, let's get the best work here, um, which, mm. you know, that's why she's my favourite director to work with. Yeah. So when, when you um, prepare for something like this, I mean, you, you've obviously done versions of it, but what is it like performing your own work for 50 minutes? Like energetically, how do you keep, you know, um, your muscle fit or, you know? Performance muscle. Well, they all that. The good thing is because they are quite different stylistically. Um, each one presents its own challenges, so I don't really get. So each every time the lights go down and I shift to, to the next character, it's quite a different style. So uh, it doesn't really give me a chance to get exhausted. I have to just kind of really be front-footed. Um, but also, when you're writing for your own voice there is an ease there as well because you're writing sentences that you are kind of speaking in your head as you're going. So 
you lose that experience of an actor, which is one of the great challenges of acting, of taking someone else's words and making them true and real for you and therefore for the audience. You miss, you don't have to worry about that step so much when it's your own writing. So there's almost an ownership. There's more of an ownership over the work, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, personally, it's revealing. Like it's in, it's interesting. People go when they saw the first iteration of it. I had a lot of friends and family come and see it, and they're like, "That's very, you've shared a lot in that." But I'm like, "There's also parts in there that I've totally extended. I don't want people to take it just exactly that's what I've been through at all. Um, I've mm-hmm. I've written to be entertaining as well. Um, so, yeah, I think." <laughs> We'll see what happens this time around because it is a little, it, it, as I said, it's getting a little deeper and more personal. So we will see what happens on the 5th of September. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the characters you mentioned was uh, a little girl giving a speech. What, like, where did you find that character and, you know, in you? Uh, I've always, the thing that um, some, you know, we always have themes that we think about and the things that affect us uh, you know, stronger than others. The lo- the concept of loss of innocence for me has always triggered something in me. Um, whenever I see a film where you watch a child just grow up within, you know, jump jump ten years or turn into an adult sooner than they have to, I I lose it. So she's really a kind of an exploration of that, the loss of innocence. Um, a very very nervous girl, and I suppose now to, because I've made it a little bit about the shape shifting she represents me at that age realizing what she has to do to survive um so and what's her speech on um family but dark family <laughs> it comes out of nowhere it's a fant- it's a kind of fantastical uh monologue her bit she she's in a she's literally giving a class speech and finding it very hard to talk cuz she's so nervous and then she tricks herself into a fantastical kind of Enid Blyton world where she can reach for the stars and talk about her dreams and that sort of stuff. Ah, fabulous. So it sounds like it has that really kind of, um, I don't know, surreal element to it. Is is that, I don't know if that's the right word, maybe you can describe it, like because we are, you are moving in space and time and age and, you know, visually what are we seeing and are you actually, you know, wearing costumes that changes or is it all kind of, you know, up to the imagination? No, it's it's costumed. Um, it, yeah, it is quite surreal, the whole space. It exists kind of in the frontal lobe of my head and I'm put, throwing it out to the audience and hoping they catch part of it um, or all of it. Uh, but yeah, it is a surreal experience because I think because stylistically each of the characters are so drastically different and then the last character is just me in a room, you know, um, talking very honestly. So um, yeah, it's not like a linear, easy piece of theatre. I think you have to take the plunge as an audience to just kind of... and But that, you know, I think we have to write and do as artists what inspire us and make us excited. That was about three weeks ago when I had a bit of writer's block as I was re- writing some new things. I, I kind of went back to the the um, moments that I remember as a young artist that blew my mind and, and went, oh, that's what I should be... That's the type of art I should be writing. Um, wow. You know, so I think it was, yeah, a couple of weeks ago that I realised that just write what excites you because you're not going to please everyone. And I will throw out my version of what I think is great out there to people and 
hopefully some people agree. I mean, it's never going to be 100% loved, but you, you really should just do what you, what you love. So what was one of those moments that blew your mind as a, you know, theatre well, to per- person? Performance-wise, I saw Tyler Coppin in Lyrebird um, when he came to Tasmania where I grew up in like, it would have been like 97, maybe 96. And it was just this fully inhabited performance of Sir Robert Heltman. And I didn't know about Sir Robert Heltman, but just watching this transformational performance in front of me fully committed it was a big performance but it was just so honest and incredible that was definitely a moment where i went oh i really want to be an actor like a proper actor um and when i first moved to sydney uh, i saw a barry kosky production at sydney theater company was uh, it's terrible i should actually remember what it was i think it was oedipus where uh, it was a small little block i think it was in wharf two or wharf one and uh, heads were coming out of the ground and it was just like completely wild and but you know that kind of performance art on a main stage which really excites me I'm like oh you got past the you got past the corporate money and you did what you wanted to do (laughs) that is such great advice too what blows your mind and helps you sort of decide what to write and you also mentioned at the top that um you thought about you know well, you wanted to write a fringe festival show for Edinburgh in particular. What are the elements that work in, as a fringe show? Um, well, I think most fringe shows are under an hour. They have to be to fit in within the programming. Uh, so it has to grab your attention. It has to keep an audience um, excited. Um, I mean, as an actor, I'm always looking for the acting to be the strongest. I mean, we always move to what, we're, what we do as our um, profession. But, yeah, so I would say just really strong performance, really unique individual storytelling and, yeah, a bit of kind of that performance art excitement. I think that is where the fringe works best. Excellent. Well, it sounds very exciting. Is there any singing? Is there any kind of that kind of cabaret? Yeah, I sing a few songs. Uh, Yeah, I do, actually. All the characters have a little song. There you go. Yeah. I mean, the little gay, the little gay, the gay guy who's selling his wares on a webcam is singing a bit of some pop diva little moments for his uh, 12 customers that are watching him. Um, <laughs> and I think the grand, the grand old dame sings a little bit of Kiss Me Kate at one point. Fabulous. Love a bit of singing. Um, Thomas Campbell, thank you so much. It sounds just fantastic. Oh, thanks, Regina. I hope, I hope people think so. Well, that was Thomas Campbell, Tom Campbell from Betty is a Butcher, which is on as part of the Sydney Fringe from the 4th to the 9th of September at the Pack Theatre. Oh, look, it just sounds just magical. Magical.